Bakers, this episode will contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Please Don't Make Me Watch. Now obviously, as you can tell, it's just me here. Um, as me and Alice are both self-isolating. Um, and so we've had to think of a new way to do the episodes. Episodes 21, 22 and 23 were all recorded before the UK went on lockdown. We're having to be a bit more creative about how we do the episodes. So what we've come up with is Please Don't Make Me Watch Hot Takes. These are going to be us going into detail on a single topic and one that we think deserves commentary. While it's mostly going to be me during this episode, Alice is going to be chiming in with a few of her thoughts on this topic as well, so listen out for those. And as you probably guessed from both the spoiler warning and from the title of this one, this episode is going to be on the decline of the Great British Bake Off. Hi, it's Alice here from Please Don't Make Me Watch, the podcast. Great British Bake Off, yay! One of my favourite shows. I think I only got into this because of my friend Laura, like, being around her house, and everyone always assumed that I was a massive fan, and I was like, no, oh, I've never seen it. It's a very Alice show, but I'd never, like, committed to watching it. And then I think it was season five I got into it, which is the season with Martha, um, with Kate... And um, our lovely Richard, Spanish Richard, and oh my god, I can't remember his name, but the the builder guy who always had a pencil behind his ear, who was like probably my favourite, and Nancy. That was the first season I watched, and I absolutely loved it. I got so into it. And I think that was for me like the best series that there's ever been, partly because it's like the first series I watched, but also the characters were so good and it felt like they were being challenged but not ridiculously challenged and also obviously bbc no adverts mary berry they'd crack the fact that they didn't need to do super loads of historical research but that a little bit was interesting sue perkins and mel were there you know it was just it was it in its heyday i would argue so and the thing i like the best about Great British Bake Off, as someone who is attempting all of the technical challenges at the moment, although it's not going very well with, like, lack of flour and stuff, it kind of, like, it it really does make you want to, to bake and you constantly are in awe of their skill, but you also feel like it's achievable, whereas, obviously, a lot of reality shows, you're like, that is ridiculous and I can never make that in my life. But it feels like if you worked hard at it, you would get better. I don't want to say that I don't enjoy Bake Off. I still think it is enjoyable, but... I look at it in comparison to where it was, and it's not anywhere near as good. And I'm going to unpack why I think that. Um, the reason that has brought me this is that since being in quarantine, I've started watching The Great British Sewing Bee. And this really reminds me of what Bake Off used to be. And I think Bake Off has to radically change to go back to the heyday, because there's a reason that we still talk so fondly about series three through six of Bake Off, and there's a reason that we don't talk so fondly about the Channel 4 series. So I'm going to break this into sort of some sections, but I want to talk first about why Bake Off was so good initially. Firstly, I don't think anyone suspected Bake Off to be a hit. You've got this small baking show presented by Sue Perkins, Mel Gedrich, uh, and then judged by Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood, taking a few amateur bakers and making them make things. 
And I think that nobody thought this would be a hit. There were only six episodes in series one, but series one, I would argue, has one of the best bakers that has been on the show at all. I think Ed Kimber, who eventually won series one, did so incredibly well. And you put him against any of the later winners, I think he would hold up. Um, it worked because I think of the ethos that, especially in interviews, it seems that Mel, Sue and Mary really pushed, is that they didn't want it to be nasty, didn't want it to be full of drama. And so they nearly quit on the first day when it seemed like that was where the emphasis was going for the show. But actually then what happens is you have Mel and Sue fighting against this and saying, what we're going to do is when a baker's having a bad time, we are going to cuddle around them and say some things that can never, ever go on camera. And that gave the show, I think, a lot of heart and a lot of positivity in comparison to the other kind of competition cooking shows that were around at that time. You look at something like MasterChef, and MasterChef is very drama-heavy, very sort of dramatic, oh no, everything's going wrong, whereas Bake Off especially... I think series one and two isn't that at all. And I feel like you still get it with all the series, that there's a great camaraderie between the contestants. And I think that also Bake Off's been a great force for change. You've seen a number of spin-offs done in the Bake Off vein, so Sewing Bee and Pottery Throwdown are two examples, as well as it being transported around the world. Ruby Tando, uh, one of the finalists from season four, also pointed out very well that Bake Off has done a really great job of sneaking in people of colour, women and LGBTQ people into the food world. So if you look at, for example, some of the winners, there are loads of people of colour, loads of queer people, and that I think is a really positive thing that Bake Off has done. And I don't want to take that away from it when I'm talking about why I think Bake Off is not the show it used to be. I think, for me, the thing that's changed the most is my impression of Paul Hollywood. Because I think it was easy in the, f like, first few series. I kind of, like, again, I didn't really know very much about it. But he seemed, like, vaguely paternal. And he didn't seem... Like, everyone there didn't seem like they were aware of how big this show would be. And it's just pissed me off more and more as he seems to... Well, partly the newspaper stories that you see, but he seems to have become increasingly, like sleazy, I find his attitude around the contestants a little bit creepy, especially the younger female ones, and knowing like all the backstory to that, and I just think he seems really arrogant, and that came across especially in the fact that everyone else resigned, to do with the show, like Mary and Sue and Mel resigned when it went to Channel 4 and he didn't, which like just gave me a bad impression of him and I feel like the fact that he, like these handshakes have become such a big deal and he really builds up to it and he just knows like they're so significant. It makes me feel like if I was in the tent, oh my God, my dream. But if I was in the tent and he went for a handshake, obviously I'd be thrilled, but I'd be so tempted to be like, nice, chill, thank you. Cause he's so, he builds them up so much, so rude. Like you're not that big a deal. I just think he takes himself way too seriously as like the most significant person there. And um that annoys me. Obviously he's talented, like I'm not saying he shouldn't be a judge, it's just annoying. And that kind of ruins it for me. Um, the other things that change, obviously like getting rid of the history element com completely means that like, you've lost something there, I think. I'm not saying I miss it all the time, like sometimes they were really boring, but I don't know, it, it takes away from what the premise of the show was, which is something which is intrinsically about baking and like, 
the history behind it and all of that kind of stuff and the, the way it's changed has been like they're trying to find new and innovative things to do and I felt like it was supposed to be where you take traditional things and make them amazing rather than just making new things all the time and I think that's shown in the technical challenges when they have to make like just stupid things that no one would ever choose to make and they're like they're not learning they're not proving their skill at something that is basic and like they should know how to do anyway it has to be some extraordinary thing which of course they'd never have heard of um and I quite like the idea of a technical challenge being like make this thing you have no recipe but if you're a good baker you should know how to make a really really good Victoria sponge or like set of scones or whatever could be a little bit harder than that but you know that kind of thing I think the fundamental point of change is the move to Channel 4. I think the loss of the core three of the presenting and judging team is a massive issue. And while I think Sandy and Noel aren't trying to be Mel and Sue, and they do a really good job of that, I think that in a way they lose what Mel and Sue had for that, which was essentially that they were there throughout the whole thing for the contestants. And I want to talk about kind of the show in terms of format and the show in terms of then how it's edited and how it's presented. And I think that the first issue with Bake Off is the challenges. Each week on Bake Off there are three different challenges. Two that the contestants have practiced at home and one blind technical challenge. So there's the signature which is generally around a theme. Then there is a technical challenge which is around that theme to say if it's bread week they will have to make um, a focaccia. And then the final challenge is a showstopper generally testing their decoration along with their baking. In series one and I would even argue up until something like series six you have challenges that while difficult are not unattainable. I think it's really interesting that if you look at even series six, um, the first week, which was cakes, you had to make a Madeira cake for your signature, a frosted walnut layer cake for the technical, and then a black forest gatto for the showstopper. None of these, I think, are particularly challenging, but they all are testing different skills. And fundamentally, they're all testing how well they can bake, not how well they can decorate. And I think that that is where the Channel 4 series, so series 8 through 10, especially have an issue. I mean, that was week one of series 6 that I just talked about. If you look at week one of series 8, and they have to do a fruit cake, fine. Chocolate mini rolls, fine. And then an illusion cake. And that, for me, started ringing alarm bells. Because this is not testing whether they can bake well. Yes, it's going to be considered, but the thing that they're testing is, can you make it not look like a cake? So in terms of decorating of a baking, I feel like we saw that potentially in the early seasons with like, was it Francis Quinn, who did all those incredible looking things, but also got constantly called out on like style over substance and that kind of thing. So I think this has been coming for a while, but I also think it's like influence of American baking shows. Like Nailed It is something that I love and Cupcake Wars and Cake Wars and all of that kind of stuff. But you do realise watching those that like how much of amazing baking is essentially like Rice Krispie cake with fondant over it, which is kind of shit. Like no one wants to eat that really. Um... And I think Bake Off has been influenced by that, like, Instagram trend and people making, like, wanting to, them to look like that, which is kind of dangerous. Like, that's not, the, again, not the point of the show, 
But I think that's been coming for a while. I don't think that's just a Channel 4 thing. Um, but it definitely has been more of a thing. When in the showstopper, they're looking for insane decoration rather than potentially taste. But I get why, because as a viewer, it's much easier to be like, wow, that's good, if you see that it looks good, rather than if it just looks like quite plain, but it, they say it tastes good. You get this more and more with challenges, and I think especially when they redid the Illusion Style Challenge for the finale of Series 10, it's turning into something like Nailed It. Not in the way that Nailed It essentially takes three people that can't bake and hands them a kitchen. It takes three to 12 people that can bake very well and essentially makes them make things that aren't necessarily conducive to baking. They're conducive to decorating. Um, I do think that while I'm being critical of the later series, I want to recognise that I think sometimes what they've done has been really good. I think, for example, in series nine, Vegan Week was a particularly strong week. I think that having something that I personally had never seen before, which was Vegan Meringue, and then also Vegan Celebration Cake and Vegan Savoury Tarts. Those are three things that I think test not only their skill when they remove dairy from baking, but also it shows maybe a vegan audience or a lactose intolerant audience how they can bake. But you look at just a couple of weeks earlier on, on Spice Week, which I think is a week theme to begin with, they have to make a ginger cake, then they have to make um, mamoul, which is a pastry from the Middle East that none of the bakers had heard of. And then they have to make a biscuit chandelier. And it's the showstoppers that I think are particularly egregious in this. The showstoppers are more and more becoming, let's make this elaborate structure out of something. But it's not necessarily going to be, oh, this tastes amazing. It's more going to be, this looks incredible. And the flavour is always going to come secondary in these challenges. And I'm going to get to, I think, the worst examples of these later. But I think that you look at series one, and yes, series one is very sort of nice, it's very twee, the show is very small scale, but just looking at the technicals, they had to make a Victoria sponge, scones, cobs, a lemon souffle, Cornish pasties, and then they get to the finale. Now the finale in series one worked slightly differently, there wasn't a technical. What instead they did was they had the signature where they were asked to make 24 professionally decorated cupcakes and they had to make the cupcakes and decorate them. And that was testing both their baking and their decorating. And then a contestant was eliminated. And then the finale was they essentially had to make afternoon tea from scratch. And I think that is an excellent way of prepping them for the finale. They've done wedding cakes a couple of times in the finale, and generally that only tests how well they can make cake and maybe biscuits and macarons. The standard at which you have to be to get onto Bake Off now, because of what they expect from you, is so high. When macarons was a show-stopping challenge in series two, and then the fact that you are expected to just make them like they're nothing by series seven, is, I think, an issue. And also when you get people who then start making their own fondant and then there's an expectation that all the contestants must make their own fondant, which most still don't. And I think that it's becoming more of style over substance rather than this is about baking. And while I think this is a key issue, I don't think personally it's the worst issue. And I think that fundamentally 
the editing of the show has changed. So, I want to talk about what everyone generally agrees is the best series of Bake Off. I'm pretty sure if you ask someone who has seen most of Bake Off or all of it, everyone pretty much agrees that series six is the best series of Bake Off. You have uh, contestants that have interesting arcs, you have likeable contestants, that you have moments that are quite funny, you have moments that are very sort of touching, and also you have a top three that feel satisfying and that feel like any of them could win. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about what I mean by that, is that when you edit a, f a reality competition, you have essentially three slots for your finalists that they can fit into, and if you have one of each, it really helps the series. So what they are is you have the underdog, the seasoned pro, and the wildcard. Now, I think, briefly turning away from Bake Off, a really good example of this in practice is Series 6 of RuPaul's Drag Race. The finalists of RuPaul's Drag Race in that series were Courtney Act, Bianca Del Rio, and Adore Delano. Um, starting with Adore, Adore had a very rough start to the series. Um, she was generally critiqued on how her body wasn't in proportions, her runways were clearly unfinished or didn't fit, and then you have kind of her personality coming through and she starts to win challenges and show her talent, and then emerges as someone who could win, which is a very classic underdog arc. You then have Bianca, who essentially steamrolls the season because she is so experienced. There are things that she gets critiqued on, like, for example, that essentially all of her runways are ball gowns, but they presented so well, and she did so well in so many of the challenges, that there's a reason that she is the only queen in Drag Race history so far to never have even placed in the bottom three for a challenge. And then you have Courtney Act. Courtney Act has a very up and down trajectory in Drag Race, sometimes riding really high, like for example in Shade the Rusical, and sometimes falling really low, like in the Makeover Challenge or in the Ball. And this means that you have someone who's had a very kind of turbulent journey, but you feel that this contestant has done well enough to be there, and thus anyone winning is satisfying. With Bake Off Series 6, this again has this perfect selection of finalists. You have Nadia, who essentially starts the series coming 12th in the first technical, 9th in the second, she comes 9th in the third, she comes 8th in the fourth, and then wins it in episode 5. You have a brilliant arc and a brilliant upswing of her tra trajectory. She also wins episode 5, and slowly Nadia starts to come to more prominence, and you realise, oh actually, she's really quite good. And when she gets to the final, everyone's sort of rooting for Nadia because you want her to win because she's had so many good moments on camera. She's had so many good moments with the other contestants and her winning will be so satisfying. But on the flip side, you have Ian. Ian very much fulfills the seasoned pro role. He has lots of experience. He wins Star Baker three times in a row in weeks two to four. But after that is always in the near the top, but never quite wins. Again, he has a trajectory of I've done very well, but I've shown all my cards too early and sort of makes his way to the final. It would be satisfying if he won. You'd understand why he's a very good baker, but he's not edited as the winner. 
the other person who is edited as potentially being the winner is the third finalist, or the wild card, which is Tamal. Tamal has a very up-and-down trajectory. In week one, he's near the top, and then sort of flounders a bit for weeks two and three, again in the top for week four, flounders again in five and six, and then wins Star Baker in week seven. He then is always up there with Nadia as she wins the final two episodes before the final. Tamal has that up-and-down trajectory that makes him the wild card. He doesn't necessarily have an arc, but he's always there. He's present throughout the whole series. He's also present with Ian and Nadia. They interact a lot with each other. I also want to mention that I think this series did really well with emphasising the mistakes that the Bakers made. You look at the final technical in this series, which is to make Milfoy, because in Pastry Week, all three of the finalists did badly. Notably, the contestant that won Pastry Week, Matt, went out the next week. And I think that definitely it presents them as challenging them constantly on their baking. You compare that to, for example, to the technical in season nine's finale, where the technical is, and I will hold my hand up here, I think this is the worst technical challenge of the Bake Off, where they have to make campfire pita bread. This is not testing how well they can bake. This is essentially testing, can they keep a fire going? And if their fire isn't hot enough, if their fire is too hot, it's so variable just on what they're doing, that I feel that this challenge essentially is mute in the judging. And it doesn't necessarily lend it to showing me who's a better baker. It just shows me who can bake without an oven. It doesn't tell me who actually has made the best bread. But the reason that I bring up series six is because I want to say that this series did not go in for shock value. You have some eliminations that are sad, but none of them are unexpected. I mean, I think the eliminations of Matt, Paul and Flora before the final are sad because they are contestants who we've had a lot of fun with. Flora getting stressed constantly. Matt grilling his icing is one of the best moments on Bake Off. Paul showing some real talent and also getting one of the, the first honourable mention before awarding Star Baker for the Bread Lion. However, the Channel 4 series have relied so heavily on shock that it's detracted away from the story. Now, shock doesn't necessarily mean that there is no story. Um, to go back to an earlier series of Bake Off, you look at something like series five, where you have Bingate. Bingate is when the contestant Ian, essentially his baked Alaska was taken out of the oven, it melts, there's nothing he can really do about it, and he throws it in the bin. That is not something that the editors can control, because that is the whole story of that contestant in that episode. But, series 8 through 10 have relied so heavily on this shock that it hasn't been satisfying. Series 8, I feel like, is a bit of a mishmash of a series. You have three finalists, and you don't really know who any of them are. In researching this episode, I looked up the contestants of Series 8, and with the exception of Liam and Stephen, I can't really remember anything about the other ten of them. And it's also important to note that neither Liam or Stephen win. Stephen makes it to the final, arguably as the strongest contestant, but 
doesn't win, and Liam goes out weirdly in fifth, in an episode that I think essentially wanted you to feel worried that a contestant who maybe hadn't done as well throughout the whole Bake Off in Stacey might make it to the final after winning the episode. However, this is especially obvious in Series 9. Series 9 started well. I want, I want to put this out there. I was very hopeful for Series 9. The challenges, yes, were weird. I think the biscuit self-portrait is a perfect example of decorating over baking. I think that, for some reason, why Biscuit Week was first felt irrelevant. It didn't need to be. And I think that when you got some things like the chocolate ball dessert, it was very pointless. You had some nice contestants. You had interesting contestants, most notably, I think, Kim Joy. And you get to the top five, which in the series were Raul, Ruby, Bryony, Manon and Kim Joy. And it's a very strong top five. You essentially have the final contestant who had done well, but never quite well enough to win going out the week before. And you feel like any one of these five on the day could take it. And then the quarterfinal happens. The quarterfinal was Danish week. And you essentially have two potential people to go out. You have Manon, who has served three okay bakes, but they're very much French-style Danish bakes. And then you have Raoul, who serves Danish-style pastries and bread, but none of it is cooked correctly. To my mind, this signals that Raoul should go out. He has not completed the brief by baking anything correctly. However... Manon is eliminated. And in rewatching this episode, the edit doesn't make you think that Manon at any point is going home. It actually presents it to me as that Kim Joy or Raoul are going home, and maybe Manon is down there, but she's probably safe. And then Manon is eliminated. Now, I thought... What are you doing here, Bake Off? This was the first elimination that I sort of really thought, no, I really disagree with this. Most of the time, I maybe thought this person should go out instead, but I completely see. This was the first one where I thought, no, this person should not have gone home. And then the semi-final has exactly the same problem. You have Raoul and Bryony essentially very equal. And for me, Raoul did much worse and Bryony is eliminated. Raoul then winning the whole series feels so unsatisfying because you have a contestant who, yes, up until the quarterfinal was running away with it. The only person who could have been him was Kim Joy. But you have a contestant who did so poorly on one week and pretty poorly in the semi-final and isn't eliminated, it feels hollow. It feels like, essentially, they sort of said, we've set Raoul up as the winner, so we're going to make Raoul win. Raoul, in my mind, doesn't win because he's the best baker. He wins because the show wants him to win. Compare that to Nadia, to Nancy, to Ed in series one. They all win because they are the best in the final and you feel justified that they should be in the final. Raoul, for me, shouldn't have been in the final. He should have been eliminated in the quarterfinal. 
That's not to say he's not a good baker. He's a much better baker than me. But the show did not do us justice by giving us a satisfying winner. There was the shock over story element. I agree that season six is like an amazing, amazing series of Bake Off. Nadia and Tamar just make that series so good. And I think that they almost caused like the detriment of it because they were such characters um, without necessarily mean to be like, they were quite quiet people, but they became characters. I wonder if that actually had a negative impact, like the whole story of Nadia, like doing something for herself and this emotional speech. I think then everyone tried to recapture that every single time and they wanted it to be that kind of story. And when Rahul won, who I think, I know you don't maybe agree, but I think he would deservedly won. I thought he was like, they clearly thought his baking was amazing. Um, I felt like they wanted Tim to win from the start because he was like this quiet scientist who was also amazing at baking and had this like, didn't see his family very much. And I think they felt like that was a good storyline. So it felt more like engineered, I guess, than like, previous years but yeah i you you talk about like manon going out i didn't like manon that much <laughs> i was quite happy when she left i found her kind of irritating but also i mean her bakes are amazing so i get that maybe she didn't deserve to go out and also i always feel bad about saying any of the bakers are irritating because they all get on so well so that i feel like they must all be like genuinely lovely people so it's clearly my fault for not understanding them i'm sure manon is a lovely person the person yeah but I do see what you're saying about how there's like drama over, over anything else. I still genuinely feel like most of the decisions are justified, but I've definitely remember watching some of them with my mum and being like, what? How could that person stay? And it feels ridiculous. But I mean, I'm still going to watch Bake Off regardless of all of this. But I agree that maybe the best seasons are over. I want to also briefly talk about how the Paul Hollywood handshake has become a sort of stamp of approval that never was in the early show. And the fact that they are being handed out for bakes that are sort of presented throughout the week, you'll have episodes that maybe have six or seven handshakes in them. And it doesn't feel like a prize anymore. Yes, the contestants are clearly happy that they've got one of them, but it doesn't feel necessary anymore. I think Channel 4 have definitely decided that what Bake Off is to them is not what it was to the BBC. Yes, a lot of fans weren't particularly happy with who won the final Bake Off series on the BBC, Series 7, which was won by Candice, but I haven't seen anyone argue that she shouldn't have won. I have seen plenty of people argue that two of the three Channel 4 winners shouldn't have won. And for me, I now want to talk about what, for me, is the worst of this, and that is the most recent series of Bake Off, Series 10. Series 10 had a lot of promise. I think it started out from the gate saying, kind of showing a nice reel of everything that had happened throughout the entirety of Bake Off, and I thought, yes, this is going to be really great. This is going to mean a lot to something. And then it starts, and you have already, I think pretty clearly, a strong set of bakers. You have Michelle, you have Steph, you have Alice, you have Michael, 
and you have David. And, and basically the show is sort of saying they could could do well, they could win. You have other bakers who are sort of up and down in the first couple of weeks, noticeably Henry and Rosie, and you think, oh, maybe they'll scrape through. And it starts really well. And then it gets to week four. Week four for me is where Bake Off series 10 goes off the rails. So the first thing is the theme of week four. The theme of week four is dairy, which, fine, not a bad theme. However, it doesn't really seem like they had enough things to bake for dairy. So they had to do a cultured dairy cake for the signature, and then essentially they have to do custard tarts, but they're not called custard tarts because it's a Tudor recipe called Maids of Honour. In all pretense and purposes, these are custard tarts. And then they have to make something called mishti, which I had never heard of. They are essentially milk-based Indian sweets, and they have to display them. And this is such a style over substance challenge that they mark them so much about how much they look like something different that it just feels weird. It doesn't feel like a Bake Off challenge. And so when it gets to the judging, you have really two contestants who have done poorly. You have Priya, who did came last in the technical and had really poor showstopper, and Phil, who had probably the worst showstopper, but had done okay in the first two challenges. And so everyone sort of thinks, ah, Priya's going home. And then Phil's eliminated. Now, you could argue that Phil's showstopper was so much worse than everyone else's that he deserved to be eliminated. I don't agree with. I think Priya had done the worst across the episode and should have gone home. But one disagreeable elimination doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And then you get to the the time period episode, which is the Roaring Twenties. And what is the signature? The signature is a custard tart. And there is a complaint, for example, something like Pottery Throwdown, where they are running out of challenges. They have had to make toilets now a multiple number of times. But with Bake Off, if you're going to do the Roaring Twenties, why put that as the week after you have already asked them to make custard tarts. You then have a technical that I had never heard of, and then a prohibition era cake, which is essentially a cocktail cake. That's all it is. It's a cocktail cake. And that's fine, but it doesn't seem to line up with it. It's just a cocktail cake. And most of the contestants in previous series have done cocktail cakes at some point. This is also the week of the very controversial double elimination, where you have four contestants who are in the line of fire, two of whom the majority of the Bake Off fan base disagree with. So the first, again, is Priya. While she came second on the technical, her other two bakes were poor. You have Rosie, who dropped one of her custard tarts in the signature, came somewhere in the middle for the technical and didn't have the best showstopper. You have Michelle, who'd done okay in both the two challenges and then had a slightly odd decoration for her showstopper. And then you have Helena, who had over-egged a floral flavour in the signature, won the technical, and then had done okay on her showstopper. From that information, to me... If you're going to do a double elimination, Priya and Rosie are the obvious choices. 
Helena and Michelle were the contestants eliminated that week. You essentially remove one of your most consistent bakers in Michelle and one of your most fun bakers in Helena. It baffles me, this decision. Still, I still think about this decision because I don't know why they were the two that went home. I think you could argue that Helena, maybe, despite winning the technical, had had such a ropey run that it should have been her and Priya. But Michelle? I don't see why she went home. She was the star baker in Cake Week in week one, and had done pretty well throughout the rest of the competition. It doesn't make sense that she goes home in week five. As the series continues, the challenges get more... They just get more. Priya finally goes home in the next episode, but you then have a festival week, and this, to me, is they are running out of themes. And there's nothing wrong with the themed weeks, but this just essentially seemed to be celebration cakes that we can't fit into any other time. So, when you get to the quarterfinal of Series 10, you have... Essentially, you have the final five, which is Alice, David, Henry, Rosie, and Steph. Steph has done so well in the competition at this point that it doesn't seem natural that she wouldn't win. She's by far the best baker of the bunch. The quarterfinal of Series 10 is pastry. Pastry is never this late, and I think having pastry this late is a mistake. Because pastry is arguably of the basic things to do, so bread, biscuits, cakes, pastry, it's the hardest. So you need pastry slightly earlier. They then have to make a tart to tan. Fine. Great signature challenge. And then a Moroccan pie out of Walker pastry, which none of them have worked with, none of them have heard of it, and it's essentially phyllo that is brushed onto a hot plate and then turned into pastry. It is clearly incredibly difficult to work with, and I don't think it actually tests out their baking ability very well. And then you have a vertical pie. Here is where we get into controversial eliminations again, because David did not make a pie. David made tarts. They said that they need to have a lid. None of David's had lids. They also complained about the flavour of David's, both in his signature and in his showstopper, whereas Henry's they quite liked both in terms of flavour, even though the bake was slightly underdone or overdone. But then, when you get to the judging, it's obvious that Steph is winning, but then David is up for consideration for Star Baker, and that, for me, is when alarm bells started ringing. Because David hadn't won a challenge, he'd had a very up-and-down journey, but he'd never had that moment of he should win. He'd never had that moment of this is an amazing bake. With that series, you think to something like Alice's Biscuit Sheep, that I think is probably one of the best bakes of the series. And you then get, in Pastry Week, a pretty terrible week from him, and arguably he should have gone home, and they're pushing him for Star Baker. You then have the same issue in the semi-final. Now, he did do better than Rosie. I'm not going to argue that. But the showstopper in that week is so pointless. It's essentially, they have to do a glass case made out of sugar and biscuit with a 
form of patisserie inside. They do not eat the case. The case adds nothing. It's just to show that they can make sugar glass. It is so pointless in the judging, and yet half the time of that showstopper is them making their glass cases. It makes no sense. And then you get to the final. And this is where I want to talk about something that I feel like Bake Off has done definitely in the Channel 4 series. And I want to save it to now because I think series 10 is the worst example of this. Which is what they do is they nuke their best contestant so they don't win. Series 8, arguably, Sophie and Stephen were pretty equal. I feel like they both on the challenges they came pretty close to each other, could have won. So weeks one and two, week five, week seven, either of them could have won. But Stephen had always had a bit more flair than Sophie. Sophie was much safer and much steadier, but Stephen had always had a bit more flair. And given that definitely Channel 4 has leaned into the style over substance element of baking, wouldn't it make sense to have a winner who delivers that. Now, I will say, on the final, it's obvious that Sophie wins. But they kept saying to Stephen, and they have done this to multiple other contestants, oh, you've won Star Baker this many times. And that is only going to get into their head. You see this on Drag Race all the time. Most recently, I think, with Widow Von Du. You see her in the presidential debate challenge, where Rue says, you haven't won a challenge since week one. You haven't been in the top since week one, which is actually not true. She was in the top for Gay's Anatomy. And I think that Widow had actually done very well in some challenges. I think that in the improv challenge before, she did quite well. I think in the Madonna Rusical, she arguably was better than Gigi, who did win that challenge. But then, essentially, Rue says something that gets into her head. She messes up. She goes home. They do this to Stephen in the final. It's even more egregious in series nine, where all three finalists have won Starbaker twice, but they go to the final challenge, which is essentially, again, unfortunately, it's a decoration challenge, where they have to make a landscape dessert, and they go to Kim Joy and say, oh, I mean, you're so good at the decoration side, you're so good. I mean, when we think about, like, the decoration side, you're so good. She gets into her head about it, and it costs Kim Joy the final. Essentially, they did this, I think, to hand Raoul the easy win. Because Kim Joy, up until that point, had done some spectacular decorating. You think of her galaxy ball of turtles. You think of some of the cakes and showstoppers she had done. They looked amazing. If you go on her Instagram, some of the stuff that Kim Joy makes is beautiful. And saying that to her in the final doesn't make sense. Kim Joy had also been one of the most consistent contestants throughout the whole of series nine. And for her then not to win, despite the fact she had the best signature and she won the technical, feels cheap. Series 10, however, once again, is the worst example of this. The final in series 10 is between David, Alice and Steph. Steph has had the best run for that series. Arguably one of the best runs on Bake Off ever, winning Star Baker four times and never 
falling into the bottom. Until the final, when all anyone can say to her is, you've won Starbaker four times. But remember, you have won Starbaker four times. You have won Starbaker four times. And it gets to her. She makes a simple mistake in the technical, and it spirals. I don't think that would have happened on an earlier series of Bake Off. And thus, you essentially had a contestant who had coasted his way to the final, the win for the series. I don't mean to say that David is bad. I mean to say that they had not edited David as the winner. We go back to the archetypes that I spoke about earlier. None of them really fit into any of them. You could maybe argue that Steph is the seasoned pro, but neither Alice or David are the underdog or the wild card. You can't really argue that David has a winner's arc. This is not the fault of David. This is the fault of the show. I feel like the show has forgotten not only how to do a baking competition, but how to edit a winner. You look back at earlier series. You look back at, example, a series where the season pro has won, like series five, where Nancy winning makes total sense. She has been so consistent and so strong. And yes, Richard had won Starbaker in that series five times. But you put Nancy in the final, she knows exactly what she's doing and creates a very memorable piece of baking. She made a, the, I remember the sugar windmill that she made was beautiful. You then have a series like series six, where Nadia's arc upwards throughout the whole series feels so satisfying that her winning is righteous. Her winning is one of those television moments that I don't think Bake Off will ever recreate. They tr have tried to do it on Channel 4 with the wins of Raoul and David, but they will never have that lightning in a bottle moment that is Nadia Hussain winning and Mary Berry's speech at the end. Channel 4 Bake Off, I don't think, is necessarily bad, but it is definitely a lesser version of something great. There is a reason that we remember contestants from series three, from series five, from series six, even from a less popular series like series seven. It has that heart and that inherent amateur quality that shows like Sewing Bee and Pottery Throwdown have taken. It has that that means that you could maybe do this at home. The Channel 4 series, series eight through 10, have gone away from this. The reliance on spectacle and almost manufactured drama has impacted the show in such a negative way. The reliance on making things look amazing and challenges that are essentially not about baking mean that the contestants are always at a disadvantage. The reliance on using things like fondant in a finale, especially in the finale of series 10, make the show feel essentially like nailed it, the professionals. Bake Off is not nailed it. Bake Off is not MasterChef, and that's why I think that Bake Off is currently in decline, and there needs to be a radical shift in tone, and in idea, and in editing for it to come back. Thank you for listening to this very special episode of Please Don't Make Me Watch. 
Um, if you have any thoughts about Bake Off or any thoughts at all, you can get in touch with us via email at please don't make me watch at gmail.com. You can tweet us at don't make me watch and you can find us on Instagram at please don't make me watch. We are available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and many other podcast providers. Please like, rate and subscribe. And if you have any ideas for what we could do any more of these hot takes on, please get in touch. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.